0: Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Davon McCarroll, or Dr. Mack, as we lovingly call him. With 20 years of military, business, and academic experience, he leads teams through multifaceted corporate culture change. With his unconventional teaching and leadership style, he reaches uncommonly high levels of success. Full disclosure, Dr. Mack and I served in the Air Force many, many moons ago, and we've come together again to discuss leadership and culture change. Welcome, everybody, to today's discussion. We're meeting with Dr. Davon McCarroll. We're going to talk about organizational culture. He is a rapper extraordinaire. I told him I was going to say that, but he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Well, welcome, Dr. McCarroll. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, good, sir. Doing well. Good to hear from you. It's good to hear from you, too. Thanks for taking time to talk with us and help out some, some lowly um, doctoral candidates and some researchers try to figure out awesome ways to help out with um, new leaders, up and coming, trying to figure out how to manage that whole corporation organizational culture nonsense that we hear so much about. And so, we're super excited to get your your wealth of information and knowledge on this subject, since you are an organizational culture expert. All right, I'll tell you what I don't know. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. That works out well. So we'll start it off. I'll I'll start off with a really easy question. Uh, Just for those who are listening in that don't know anything about organizational culture, according to you, what is
1: organizational culture? It's the pulse of the community. That's how I see it. The pulse community is if you sit back and you just observe how people interact with each other and what type of... uh, their uh, their character, how they how they carry themselves, and so forth. You start to see the the whole dynamics of of the interaction of of people and and what they bring to the to the organization itself. Because there's too many different backgrounds to try to cookie cut anything. Mm-hmm. So you just, if you sit back as a leader and observe, it's just the pulse. You gotta get a, a pulse of the community. I and, like that, and, the, and the,
0: that's how I I see it. That's awesome. I like that. That that keeps it fairly simple for us that don't know much about it. So, so thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that.
1: <laughs> no problem, Doctor.
0: <laughs> That's good times. It's the pulse of the community. I really like that. When it comes to the organizational, who sets
1: that culture by acad- by the word academia, it should come from the top. But. From the top, if you really think about it, like CEOs are not doing the daily work. They're making deals. They're setting up the big picture. They got a 30,000 foot view. It's the, it's the workers. It's the people who get their hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Now I say that, um, just as a over, as an overarching statement of getting their hands dirty. It doesn't mean that, you know, they're civic laborers and so forth. These are the people that execute the mission daily. And those are the people that really set the tone. And so the issue. OK, I'm, I guess I'm going a little further into this, but the issue of the conflict comes from when people, the first level, second level supervisors are not in tune with what their subordinates are doing and how they are and how they are acting. They don't have the pulse. So they're expecting or they're trying to force upon what they think it should be versus understanding what's going on and trying to better enhance and or slightly correct so that things are working in uh in the same direction.
0: Okay. In the beginning you said according to academia, it's a top down <laughs> culture. Um uh, I did hear that in there. Uh, but in it's real not- life it's not necessarily a top down culture. So what would a first line supervisor's job be as far as trying to set an organizational culture first
1: on their team if they're a first line supervisor. They need to talk talk to other people. There's an, old, there's an old poem I live by. At first, it was stupid, but now as I got older, oh, wait a minute. I understand that. He called the wise old owl, right? Okay. The wise old owl, right? The more he sat, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we be like that wise old bird? So, many, many moons ago, you shall hear me talk. I am me. I'm the greatest thing to slice bread. Shut your mouth, subordinate, right? Mm-hmm. You get, it didn't go so well, right? Yeah, not a worked in the fifties, <laughs> <Yeah>, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but but if you actually sit back and listen to people, my goodness, you know you know how much easier my job became when I just listened to what they were actually saying. So that's the the first step, I believe, is that if you have the patience and the worth all to sit there and ask questions to understand, get to know people, what their goals aspirations are. Because not everybody wants to be king of the world. Some some people just want to just do their job and go home. Some folks want all the accolades. Some folks are kind of teeter-totter between the two. You'll see the, you know, different different dynamics. Some people are introverts. Some people are too extroverted. So you have to just know your people. So it really boils down to just sit and listen and know your people. And then you can kind of morph into, okay, this is what my team is. This is how my team is jailing. And that's how you start Set the tone because you're allowing them to. You 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 are fostering growth. You say fostering growth and what works, and then you cut out, of course, what doesn't work. That's your ability, but we all know how that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Some of us that have worked for uh, military esque organizations, <laughs> there's <laughs> there's a locus of control that gets smaller and smaller in top down hierarchical organizations. Um, so, yeah, along yes. with my favorite knife hand. <laughs> the, knife hand. <laughs> <laughs> the nice directing leadership style. Right. Knife hand pointing at you, the threat <laughs> of death if you don't yeah. comply. And, exactly. And that that works for some organizations, but not all, as you pointed out there, because you were talking about how listening to the people at the bottom helps formulate that organizational culture and that leader better understands that and can move forward that guidance. What role does the the top the top people have? What do they have in that that situation because everything you read in uh books that are published and everything else the boss at the top has to set the tone by putting together the mission and the the value statements and all those things. How does the the team leader, how does that first line supervisor try to mesh those two? Because I I could see at some point if the culture on their team is vastly different than the culture that the the boss is trying to push down on people, that conflict's going to come up and somebody's probably going to lose a job if they can't manage that conflict.
1: Oh, indeed. So so the, the job of, of leadership, if let's say your first-class supervisor is understanding the constraints, right? The CEOs have a constraint and or goals because if you go for, for a profit organization, mm-hmm. it's the bottom line. We all know that, right? Right. Yacht payments don't pay themselves, so yeah, I have to be true. able to, <laughs> to make sure that my, my stakeholders can still afford their yachts. So these are the constraints I talk about, and it's up. It's really it's a that aspect I think a lot of times is lost. The translation is lost from from top down to the first line supervisor is what are the constraints? Okay, what I'm trying to operate to? What are my goals? And so or are they called the KPP? Your key key performance parameters and, and so mm-hmm. forth. So these are the constraints that first-line supervisor has to be aware of. Now, this is where, you, as a supervisor, you need to be able to convey that message to your support and say, look, I'm going to empower you guys to do this work because you guys are adults. You guys, nobody comes to work to do a crappy job. They want to do a good no. job. That's but good point. You know, these, are the ex- these are the expectations that, hey, I have to, we have to work towards. Here's the goals, right? Here's what we need to perform to. Here's what your task, your, your task should lead to X. Your task should lead to why. Here's the outcome, okay? And so, as a supervisor, first line supervisor, second line supervisor, you need to convey what those constraints are and how to operate within those constraints, so that the employees know, okay, you do you just don't have, Kurt Plank. You do, we can say what you want, you know. You need to operate within this. Here's our box. You need to operate and exceed and move this box so that we are meeting and or exceeding target goals because we are mm-hmm. for profit. So that's 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 key thing for me.
0: That's, that's a good point you bring up. How would a supervisor try to match those? Because you, you pointed out that nobody comes to work just wanting to do a crappy job. Most people right. come to work. Everybody comes to work pretty much because they want to do a good job. They want to make a difference, want to make an impact. And depending on you know, the generational nuances and the individual nuances, they'll have different individual motivations for coming to work. How do how does a, su- a supervisor match up those desires those goals of the employee with that of the organization?
1: Well, oh, I have to revert that back to the good old one of the few things I got back from the military with the feedback sessions. Really, you have to uh, you have to hold those. You know, individual one on one. I still live by the adage of if there's a female, two people are in there at all times. Door is open, and so and so and so. With that being said you have to be able to to talk first first you you put the ball in their court get them talking about what they want and and also be you see, be real about it right let's say let's say you have a a younger a younger employee you know let's say under 5 years of experience you you have to understand that this not this is just a stopping point for them they may be going mm. on to other other things and and you can't fault them for that. So you have to say, hey, look, if better opportunities come up, I do understand. So please don't think I'm commanding your undial your undying fealty and to chop off your finger for me. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, so I want you, I understand as a boss that that uh, you're searching for best opportunities for you to grow and exceed. And if things work out well, then you'll be a long term employee. If not, be look for other fields. I get that. But while you're here, after I get all their goals and aspirations and so forth. And say, okay, you know what, even if you don't plan on staying here for the past 10 years, let's see what you can get the most, what can you provide the most to us based on your strengths. Uh, we can work on your weaknesses and so forth, like a SWOT analysis, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we can also develop you, right? Put the time and effort into you. Because, yeah, some people may say, or some bean counters, right? <laughs> they may say, you put all that time and effort into them, you spent you know, $10 million for only $2 million return. Mm. I think it's more so about the intangibles, right? So, so um, I say the tangibles. Think about this for a second, for, for a second right? Let's say we're operating at, at a loss, let's say of a uh, hundred thousand for the month. Now, if you're if your supervisor, oh, you suck, you know, you you, make, you, lost, you lost me money. But if you peel back the onion and find out, whoa, this person actually stopped the bleeding. So I could have lost mm. three hundred thousand. But only lost hundred thousand because of the steps and procedures and, and the work efforts that this person actually did. So yeah, am I mad? I lost hundred thousand from the big picture. Yeah, but am I even happier that I didn't lose three hundred because this person kind of he's kind of saved the day, even though we still lost. Because you know it wasn't his fault or her fault that we lost hundred thousand. It's just that's the way things happen. But this person had the empowerment and the and the, in the in work thought to say, hey, you know what? Let's do this so we can stop the bleeding. And then boom, you know, and that goes back to the supervisor, not taking the data at face value, but to peel back the onion. You start uh, asking the five whys and stuff. Hey, what actually happened?
0: So you're talking about spending a lot of time with the people that you're, that are working for you and with you. You're spending time with them because that takes a lot of time to, to have those conversations and get to know them at the level where you can have that level of trust. How do you do that with all of
1: the time demands that are on? supervisors daily tag ups you got to make time it's just daily tag ups you know whether it's 15 to 20 minutes find it most productive you just do it uh 8 8 30 you know, say so basically my calendar is probably full between seven thirty and 9 just just a daily tag up with, with, with my subordinates hey what's going on how you doing how's the family you know, it's a, it doesn't have to be specifically about work, but just getting to know people and mm-hmm. know how you really care and say, hey, any goals or uh, anything new, changing your job, and then soon enough, oh yeah, so we got this going on, going on, and then they just spill the beans, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> whether good or bad, you know, <laughs> they just start talking about work, and then you get, hey, you know what? And so uh, after after they give me their sob story, I tell them, okay, what you gonna do about it? And they all, huh? Yeah, what you gonna do about it? I you like that.
0: You ask them what they want to do about it. Not necessarily what you're going <laughs> to fix on it. Cause in the world you mentioned military earlier in military world and in, in the fifties corporate environment, it was all about what the boss was going to do to fix it. Right. But you're talking about, you're now pushing it on them because it, it ultimately it's their job. It's their life. It's their responsibility to make sure that they do their job to the best of their ability. And so you're just, you're just solidifying that, that requirement, basically, by asking them, what are you going to do about it?
1: Right, exactly. I say, hey, man, I'm here to support. There's, there's one there's one-way one a cat, right? You may see it differently mm-hmm. than I do. It, you know, as long as you can back your actions up and execute with facts and data, that's all, that's all everyone really cares about in the end, is facts and data. You, you make the best decision that, that you can make based on the available information that you have. Mm-hmm. And so I can't fault nobody for that if the result turn if the result turns left because we both talked about it we both agreed upon it and if it does go left and somebody wants to get their head chopped off then I'm the first to go to the chopping blocks because I said hey I thought it was a good idea based on X Y Z so don't blame that person because I empowered him to do it I'll take the hit
0: that's a huge measure of personal responsibility that we don't really see too much in the media nowadays. And, Imagine that concept that we learn. Huh? <laughs> it's always your
1: fault. <laughs>
0: it's it's always someone else's fault. If I turn on the news, it's, right? <laughs> uh, how do we get an organization where we have that personal responsibility? Because all the day, if if all that my people see when they turn on the news or social media, it's somebody else's fault. How do we get them out of that mindset? I liked the part of you talking about mirroring it. You were, you, you know, you were mirroring that. You were demonstrating that to them. What are the things can we do to help them get that responsibility mindset for that culture piece?
1: Oh, well, turn to uh, enlist in the Air Force and, and uh, work for Radar and have everyone blame you for everything. Then you get used to it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, <but laughs> in the military, they blame you. It's always your fault. It's no one else's fault. <laughs> exactly. So you learn to accept responsibility because you get blamed for everything.
0: <laughs>
1: no, uh, but in uh, no, all seriousness, no, that, that's a tough one because it's really a learned, a, a bad learned behavior. You know, uh, for example, uh, just recently, I had to give a a negative consultation on one of my subordinates' performance. That's, That's inevitable. Uh, Every leader is going to have <laughs> to do that at some point. <laughs> uh, so, it was a joint effort because my boss had to sit in on it because the the client did not like his performance. Mm. So... As I was going through the feedback session, she liked the way that I, I handled things because it wasn't more so on just ah oh, you you suck you suck you suck. It was like because I knew him mm. through my daily feedbacks. I said, look, I understand that you are he is truly a, is an introvert, and I re- really don't see how he made it to a lieutenant colonel. Okay, he's retired to the colonel. I don't see how he made it, but that's okay, tough. So, that's tough. <laughs> he truly is an introvert. His answers forever is, is yes, and he's solid. There's so a lot of boards this, you have to go through to get those promotions. Too. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying, so I never, I didn't understand. So after I'm going to say damn near a month of, uh, of daily tag ups, he's finally started to open up to me. Mm. Right. So bottom line is that it's not due to his lack of skills not due to his, his his lack of wanting to do anything. It's just the position he's put in. Mm-hmm. It's not, it requires a person who is an extrovert, who's always on top of, who always got something to say. At every meeting, every design review, every type of engineering thing we do, he always has something to say. And that's the type of, of, of uh, support that they client needed was that person to be on the hip of the program manager And they walk side by side. The program manager and the engineer are working side by side, holding hands and everything's lovely. And they both know what each other knows. Mm -hmm. Right. And program managers are high strung in the government. So they're very high strung. Typically. So so they want somebody to match that on the engineering Mm -hmm. side. And that's just not him. You know, he just like, I don't have anything to say. So they got mad. They got rid of him. Or they said, get him off the deal. And I I told them. You know, through this this group setting, I said it's not about this individual skill set. It's about this personality and where he fits in. And we define him a place where he doesn't have to be so in a leadership role. He's a uh, a attachment. He's a doer, Mm -hmm. right? Give Give him an engineering position that he's a doer that they don't demand him to come up and brief everything, brief leadership constantly know what's going on. He's, he's a tasker, and so and, and so she was she was amazed by how how I, I structured the feedback session and the counseling session, and, and and focused more on the positive, and and brought back some of the military stuff that we talked about, and then said, hey, this is something, this this is a we thing. We're going to get through this. Let's find something that that fits to your skill set because you got way more to offer than what the client mm-hmm. saw, and, and that's not fair to you. And so he was happy. And then the boss, when, they, when he got when the other guy got the phone, she's like, "I've never seen anything like that. Is, is that something you learned?" I said, "It's sort of like I was born in war, where <laughs> I have to do this." <laughs> you, you, you would not believe the amount of conversations I had in various <laughs> <their> situations <laughs> that I have to be cor- politically correct and know how to navigate through. This was uh, easy.
0: Okay, <laughs> after a uh, hundred years in the military on active duty, it's inevitable that. Almost a daily basis, you're giving some sort of corrective feedback actions to people. <laughs> I mean, you say, what in the A.G. double hockey Yeah. yeah. What is going on? Why did you do that? And, and that's typically the first response that most people have is what the, but I, I liked that you pointed out you had to come back from that. You couldn't just approach it with the, the immediate knee jerk reaction of What were you thinking? What were you doing? You use the information you learned from the years of working with him, the time working with him and gaining an insight into his personality to recognize that it was really a personality difference is what you were talking about. Yes. You had a very type A program manager and a type I um, engineer, which Typically, overall, most engineers end up being a Type I personality because they like to focus on the, the data, the engineering. Program managers, not so much.
1: Right. <laughs> so, which is why it kills me as an engineer because I'm too I'm too Type A. I'm like, yo, let's let's talk, let's talk. So, <laughs> so, so, so that's why they love me because I'm so I'm always engaged. That's that's good. That's good. What types of what types
0: of things did you have to do to to learn? to be able to manage both that extro and introvert tendencies that you have? Because you're an engineer, but you're also in these leadership
1: positions. How did you me- make those two work? Years of failure in the military. Oh. All, it really was. I mean, uh, I can't sit there and say, well, I went to class and, you know, I learned <laughs> this and I read this book. This book right here, boy, it taught me everything. No. Failure, you know from your experience, you using leading troops. Uh, when you first uh, go through ALS, they give you 18 troops, and you're like, what What the hell am I supposed to do with all these guys? What do yeah. I do? You know. <laughs> so after the many counsel counseling sessions I received, based on me not learning, knowing my people, and always trying to do, hey man, you messed up. You know, <laughs> quit doing stupid crap. You know, and learn how to be more more empathetic, per se, mm-hmm. and actually listening more. It was more so just failures, you know, and actually, actually uh, learning from those failures, because I, mm-hmm. I didn't want to repeat the same thing, have had to be in the office again, talking to 16 different people's leadership as to why, why I suck, this is why you suck, and that's how you get better, you know, mm-hmm. i tired of that crap, so okay, how can I get better, right, and it's just more so of not, not wanting to, to see the boss for my mess up, so I better understand how to do this, and that took, it took some years, it's not, mm-hmm. thing that took like, you know, I read a book on how to be a leader, and all of a sudden, I'm, um, I'm the top leader of the world. No failure.
0: <laughs> I like that. My my grandmother used to call that the school of hard knocks, and yes. <laughs> and it was usually hard knocks because she would hit us in the head um, and knock <laughs> us on the head pretty hard um, when there was a failure. But it, interestingly enough, despite what we think when we fail, we think that we fail. It's all done. You're still here. You're still alive. You've you've managed to overcome and progress to, to heights possibly not imagined when you were a brand new enlisted military person in active duty, so you live through it. So that's that's something that we as leaders should be able or need to actually convey to all of those that work for us, our subordinates, when it comes to failure, that failure's not the end, like the word sounds like, but it's a way to, it's a stepping stone on a ladder or a ladder rung. Indeed. One of the things you mentioned in there that I really, I really want to ask about is you talked about how you were, you, you came at him for his specific feedback session and focus on the positives. How do we do that as leaders when, Almost every conversation we have, and every piece of data that's pointed out, pointed out to us, is negative.
1: Because okay, in the military, that's what we had to have to do. Mm-hmm. We had the format was, I'm gonna tell you why you suck, and then I'm gonna tell you how to get better. Okay, you did this. Okay, you don't do it again, or I'm gonna choke you out. And then this is what we're gonna do to get better, right? So because we had to keep that person. Right, we mm-hmm. just not We didn't. We didn't have the power to say, "Okay, get out the military. You're done." Okay, it had to have been a long mile-long paper trail to get somebody out. Okay, mm-hmm. so you had to find ways to keep the slugs and make the slugs less sluggish. So, okay. So on here, on the corporate world, since this is for profit, the first question I asked because they asked, they they told me I did to do this counseling session. First, first, first thing I asked, what do you, what is your intention? Mm-hmm. Do you want to keep this individual, or do you are you wanting to get rid of them? and say, well, well if we want to keep him, I say, okay, and that right that right there tailored to how I, I i I performed the counseling session. Now, if it was more so we don't get rid of them, then I, then I would have told them, uh, there's no need to have a meeting. there's just you, you need to call him in the office and tell him uh, he's no longer employed or you want me to tell them that and that's fine, you know, mm-hmm. but there's no need to have a conversation. The only thing needs to say is that due to your poor performance and the clients are uh, not willing to work with you, and we don't have anything for you, we're going to terminate your appointment and, and call it a date. But if you want to keep the guy, then we don't need to focus on, you know, why he spilled the milk because it's done and over with. We didn't focus on, okay, how do we build this person back up and not focus on the negative because you focus on negative, you want to keep them, hell, you just, you say you beat them down some more. Why? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, You want to you keep the guy? You got to trust that he wants to do good work. You have to trust that. Now, if he proves otherwise, you know, after the second time, then, you know, hey, it's time to cut ties. We tried, you know, here's your two. Here's your pink slip, you know, give me your computer, bye, you know, but if you put, you have to focus on the positive so that you don't, you, you don't resort the man or woman back to a child. I mean, That's I, good point. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm almost 50 and, and, uh, there are times when my dad still talks to me and I still feel like I'm an eight year old kid, you know, <laughs> <That's>, so parents <laughs> you know, do that's their job. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so I keep that mind a lot. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm a grown, oh, I'm sorry. I'm a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> you know, then <breathe> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <pick> <laughs> you know, I can take you now, you know what I'm saying? What you talking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but I say that it's, it's similar. You don't mm-hmm. want to 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 morally to demoralize somebody to that state where they just revert back to uh, that childlike mentality of just being spiteful or don't want to do anything or just uh, they feel sorry for themselves. All right, you spilled the milk. Okay, now what? All right, this is how we get better, dude. You know, let's, mm-hmm. let's see where we can put you so that, so that you can succeed in life. So that's, well, that's interesting. And then, that, I like that. It, it sort of
0: mirrors, I wrote an article once and compared it to the Darth Vader and the Jesus approach, you know, Darth Vader and star Wars, historically, nobody wanted to, to mess up because he would literally choke them out or (laughs) cut their (laughs) heads off. Right. Uh, You know? And, and so there was a literal, tangible failure a fear of failure at that point, because if there was failure, it was an immediate reaction. There was no possibility of recovery, but in the world that you're talking about, we don't have to do that. And, and we can see the benefits because in Darth Vader's world, there was no one that was trying to rise to the top and exceed expectations because it was a double-edged lightsaber, if you will, at that point. Because <laughs> if you exceeded expectations and made him look bad, you were still getting choked out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in the, the, organization, the culture that you're talking about, it's more of a fostered approach of we care about the individual. We respect the individual's knowledge, skills, abilities, their age, their tenure. We respect them as a person. And when they have a failure, we come at it from the prospect of improvement, continuous improvement versus stop the immediate bleeding by putting a Band-Aid on it or cutting off the hand. That's like I got a cut on my hand, a paper cut, but now I'm going to just chop my hand off because I'm going to stop the paper cut bleeding. Exactly. <laughs> so that's, exactly. <laughs> that's good. It's really good. Can you give us an example of a previous organizational culture that you worked in that was a great example of an organizational
1: culture? Yeah. So, okay, my very first job I, when I retired was with Boeing. Okay. okay. There was a whole bunch of e- e- literature all over the board. They kept pushing this. We foster, we foster a culture of diversity. We foster this. We're encompassing. We don't care. You know, you're all welcome. So this is strange to me when I came out to the military. I'm like, what you mean? You know, <laughs> what is this stuff you're talking about? We're all mm-hmm. crap. What are you talking about? You know, I still had that mentality still, right? Yeah. And so as I watched, cause I'm a people watcher, right? As I watched all these engineers and software guys, my take, again, uh, I've been conditioned, right? Military condition, that's, that's what it is. You go to work, you're, you're in mm-hmm. uh, your, I would say, you know, a suit or a nice pair of slacks and a nice shirt, right? And a, and a nice polo shirt or a nice dress shirt, okay? Tie, no tie, nice shoes. This is what you dress for work, right? Yep. Well, as I go there, why am I the only one looking like that? <laughs> 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 I'm not buggling around. I'm like, why is this guy in jeans and tennis shoes and a Van Halen T-shirt? Why is this guy got a long beard coming way down here? That's not within Rex Is he a knife hand? That's not yes. in Rex <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know what the hell? It, you know it was just it blew my mind. The I heavily
0: regulated
1: night. work culture <laughs> yeah. wasn't existing there. <laughs> no. All they cared, all I really cared about was, okay, they understood. One understands that people make the company. So if you foster the environment for them to actually be themselves, be comfortable, uh, give them a safe space, then then it doesn't matter because all ideas are welcome, you know, because that's all different, lots of different people with different backgrounds. You know, mm-hmm. it really didn't matter. They all collaborated together. There was no um, well, there was, but at the higher level, you know, the, the, the good old boy system, that's always going to be prevalent in every organization. But it wasn't as noticeable, if you would, mm. here at Bowen than it was at the other, at the other institution of, 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 uh, of work that we worked in. Mm. <laughs> you know, so that, that community deal was, was strong, right? They all worked in open cubicles. Oh. Right? And, they all, mm. and so I'm like, what the hell? Where's the privacy at? <laughs> you know um you should be doing nothing doing nothing but work anyway right there's no need Neither for that right <laughs> right, right. <laughs> what if i want to surf the internet you know is that do work today but anyway so i appreciated the way that they they created an environment they they basically created an environment where n- nobody really cared if you came to work you know in in a van halen t-shirt and jeans and shorts right or well, they care about shorts but you know what i'm saying in mm-hmm. jeans, right? All they cared about is if there's a client coming. You got you got a, client, a meeting with a client, meaning that the government came over for a meeting. We all had to put on the suit and tie, right? It was dressed to the T, suit and tie, yeah. and everybody was very professional. But but uh, after that, it was just they they allowed this. You know, it was it was pushed. Welcome me by the differences. It blew my mind really, and it still does because I'm I'm conditioned. And it's hard for me to break the condition, you know, conditioned environment, but. People just walk around just he he said willy, Lily like come on man you know there's <laughs> not used to that you know just mm-hmm. I need structure guys <laughs> get, get, get in line focus <laughs> <laughs> you know institutionalized if you would but you know <laughs> mm-hmm. well
0: to 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 your point on that structure there is there's a certain need for a structure and you mentioned that already Boeing had it where if you're client facing then you need to present an image from the the organization of professionalism in that point. But outside of that, it seemed like they allowed you to focus on what they really wanted you to focus on to begin with was the work that you were doing, not necessarily how am I going to fix my hair today? Or is my tie straight? Because when it comes down to the bottom line in the for-profit company does your tie being straight actually benefit that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, that's a good point. Exactly. That's good. Um, with that structure coming from the military, there's that heavily structured. Everybody has the, you walk a certain space, you stay on a certain side of the hallway, you wear <laughs> right. the same clothes every day, you're dictated what you wear, you're dictated what you do and who you can talk to. While there's a measure of bottom-up communication, there's not a bottom-up communication that is equal with the, the lateral communication. So I'm tracking. what you're talking about at Boeing seems like there was an, an equal respect for all communication, no matter the proverbial pay grade.
1: Yes. I will say that the, so, so they had, you know, of course, we had worker bees, right. And mm-hmm. they had first level, second level, third level supervisors. There was a dude, I could go to the chief engineer's office, knock on his door. Hey, I got a question for you. Come on in. Whereas you know, doggone well in the military. Let me talk to my first line supervisor. you talk to the second line, I talk to the chief, and then I gotta get on the commander's schedule, and, and maybe he'll talk to me. But prior to talk to him, I need to talk to. Uh, you you have to hit yeah. all those other <laughs> steps before you get right. there. <laughs> right. Well, I can just bypass everybody and go straight to the chief engineer. Hey, um, I got a question. Or I, hey, man, it's been your. Is this in your in your inbox? I need this side ASAP. Oh, thanks for bringing to my attention. Because you know he gets. He or she get like 10,000 emails and, you know, you get lost in the sauce, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they had that policy where you, if, if something's pressing and, you know, you need to talk to them about something, come on. Holy crap. Can I knock on his door? You know? Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, yeah. It, so yeah, the open door policy was there and uh, it was good. How did that, that open door policy and that, that corporate culture they had, how did that impact the workflow? The flow of information was good. I would say that that was the best flow of information I've ever had because even though that person had their own office, so we're in a big, let's if you think about, remember the movie Office Space, right? Office oh, yes, space. yes. That, okay, so <laughs> so everyone had the cubicles, right? Everyone had the cubicles. Mm-hmm. But then right around the corner, there was an office. So that's how the setup was. And so even though he had his own office and plush plush seating, you know, nice, <laughs> nice furniture, right? He can come out of his office. And say, hey, it goes directly to who you need to talk to. Hey, um, I need X, Y, Z or what is going on with, with ABC, you know, and vice versa. he can go, you know, that person can say, hey, um, I need your signature for approval here. This is coming mm-hmm. up due in eight days. I need to sign. He, and it, it, you always go to him and say, hey, I need to sign because this is going to push your due date back if you don't sign it now. Right. No. He does tell him that. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, even though it wasn't, it just just sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Get that person to, to, to a conform. How the office was set up and then how they, they really pushed on having that type of open door policy and, and, uh, everyone is welcome type deal. It's just, they had it where it's okay. The, it just flowed. Everything flowed. And I was amazed by that. But I will say that people, some people really don't understand that, that Boeing loved engineers. If he was an engineer, he was a second class citizen.
0: So there was so, outside of that yeah. there was there was um the culture was awesome except for that and then from a, from a certain perspective I can understand that because that's what they focus on they design they build they yes you know that's what they do that's where they make their money from a certain perspective I can understand that it seems to work okay for them now in an environment like that, because there's likely to be other people in similar situations, what can, what can you do in that situation to try to minimize that or to change the culture where there's not a
1: second-class citizen type group of people in the company? Uh, you do what I did. What I did was I consistently told, all right, so the, the issue a lot of times was a lot of the engineers got older, okay? So they was retiring okay yeah. so now you got 30 years of experience walking out the door mm-hmm. who do you give that to or how can you give it to so they hire new engineers fresh out of college or maybe a couple of years of experience and they're just learning right they just learning how to be engineers and so the issue when i was there was that how do you we got a lot of young engineers how do we get them trained how do you get them trained how do you get them trained and and so i told them i said downstairs Right, because they put us on the, you know, uh, on top floors, right? Yes, all the cool people (laughs) get the higher floors, (laughs) right? (laughs) I told, I said, downstairs, you have over 600 years of experience. Like what? You have guys who spent 20, 25 years in the military working on that platform, who can write you a dissertation with their eyes closed on a specific system. Why don't you use them? So, here's where a lot of that comes into contract stuff. Mm -hmm. The, The contract. Indicated that people performing the work, you know who's who are charging to the the funds because they create charge lines, right? Yeah. Charge lines. Different different accounts. Right. So, people in order to charge to those specific charge lines, there has to be an agreed upon standard of 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 of, of qualifications, Mm -hmm. right? Must have a, a a baccalaureate in in engineering or higher or master's degree, you know. So that being said. Those guys downstairs didn't meet those qualifications. So from a contractual standpoint, they couldn't really support because if you pull that makes guys sense away from kind to, to help, they need to charge that line because they're not doing that work anymore. Correct. And then they
0: violate the contract. And then that brings right. a whole bunch of the my side of the house comes involved when the legal side gets involved. We don't like that.
1: Well, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And, and so then I say, hey, you know what? Why don't you create a pot of money? Okay, cause, because you guys already take 10% off a contract for management reserves, right? That's the old crap factor in case you run over. Why don't you take a little bit more and put it for consulting so that you can help these guys interact with the, the get the younglings to interact with the with the old heads so that they can pass on that knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, because I told them, there's nothing different. There's no difference between an engineer and a technician except for the math. That's it. Um, I could do a triple integration, and they'll look in the technician will look at me like, "What the hell are you talking about?" You mm-hmm. know. So we both know the same thing. We both know, hey, you know, it, it takes electricity, the voltage drop. We both know that, but we could do the math behind it, and then and then also do some material designs and so forth based on the math. Mm-hmm. But if you give that same person the same education without the math, it's still the same thing, you know, except for the math. So, like, dude, quit treat them like second class citizens. Yeah, yeah, 600 years of experience down there. Use it, but that's all I could do. So I gave him a solution, and the solution was put a little bit more on management management reserve, Mm -hmm. take a little bit more for for consulting so that you can train these young engineers. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in the rut because even though you have, let's say, a 20-year experience engineer, right? Yeah. That 20-year experience engineer has been on a certain platform. Let's say he was on B-52s. Then you try to put him to the e three. He's just like a brand new engineer, mm. you know. I mean, granted, he'll take it'll take a little bit. It'll, it will take him as long to get get spun up,
0: but he's brand Correct. new. Correct, because the underlying wiring is pretty simple and the same, but the way that the processes are allocated and the other factors, because they're two different airframes, two different mission sets, two different purposes. So there's a lot of different things yeah. that are different, but in the in the interim, they're both airplanes. Right. That makes a lot of sense. That's really, I I really liked what you were talking about, how as a a first-line supervisor in this instance, you were able to bridge the gap between the two by demonstrating, showing an example of how to treat others with respect and how to value their opinions and their education and their experience and really practice and focus on that diversity and inclusion aspect that you were mentioning earlier that was all over the billboards at Boeing. Uh, (laughs) You know, that's really what it comes down to. Too many times now in political spectrum, diversity and inclusion means something different than what was originally intended by those words of valuing opinions and education and using that to come together to find a way forward to overcome the the issue. It seems like from what you were talking about, that really paid off well for you.
1: Hey, you know what? uh, You the truth be told. Okay. This a funny story. It, see my long hair? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I only grew it out at Bowen because they said diversity and inclusion. I'm going to see how diverse and inclusive they really are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew it out, and I kept it and It's still... <laughs> good. So it was like, okay, I guess they are. So, <laughs> so that's <laughs> it's good. good. That's
0: good. So, <laughs> so a couple of things we've picked up here. Um, The company has to say that they value that, and then they have to show and live that they value that. It can't be in a hypocritical <laughs> stance, uh, right? You know, it sounds good on paper, but in reality, we're not doing that. Um, right, exactly. so that's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for that. Thanks so much for the time that you've taken with us to talk about that. We've gained a lot of good information, a lot of good pieces and tips and tricks and, and I'm going to pull those out here at the end and put in a little segment where I highlight some of those things before we end up today. What comes to mind that you'd like to share with us that we probably missed in our discussion?
1: People are, I can't be saying enough, people are your number one assets. If you take it as a supervisor, that the more your subordinates know, the less you have to do, everybody's well off. If you, you need to train your replacement, we talked, you know, that was beat to our heads in, in the military training replacement. Mm-hmm. And I do understand that in the corporate world, you train a replacement, you need to train yourself out of a job, right? But I guess lucky for me, being a being a retiree, I'm not so much worried about that. If I do train myself out of a job because I have the skill sets to find another job, and I'm not affected financially, if you would, if I had to lose my job, let's say for six, mm. eight, nine months, I'll, I'll say, okay, I guess I got a vacation coming. <laughs> but I guess I, I you know, uh, one of those one I'm, I'm one of those one-off deals, right? Mm. But if you take that mindset of, hey, I need to train my replacement, and I try to hoard the information, man. Your job supervisor, you are like this is easier to be the worker, and and the and then your subordinates will work that much harder because they want to work, mm. not so much they have they want to work. You know you don't that's man I try to tell that to everybody man get the people to if you to get the people to want to work you have to empower them, give them mm. all the information they can handle even give them more they don't like good lord no more information I can't take it, so what here goes some more just keep pouring you know. <laughs> Cause I believe in you. You're the best. Here's more information. You can handle it, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's what you do. You know, you just overwhelm them. And, and you, it's sort of like, um, I spoke truth. I spoke power and belief into that person when they mm. didn't know they had it. And that's the biggest thing, you know, you gotta just learn, learn people. Cause people make the world go round. Thank you. That's, that's very,
0: that's a very wise counsel and advice. I'm glad you, uh, we talked about that here. Then that's awesome. Right. 'cause it really is true that is true, giving them truth, giving them power to act on that on the information they have, and then respecting that action that they take really does allow all the subordinates and everybody around to see that they got a chance to do something that was difficult. you gave them the ability to do it, they did it, and oftentimes I know from my anecdotal experience, the few times that I was allowed to do that. I actually exceeded the expectations because I was allowed to come up with other things that weren't necessarily on the
1: expectation list, but they, they improved the performance, they improved the process. Right. And I always tell your supporters, too, hey, you can work hard, but I'm going to take credit for your work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know I if we want to do that, but that's <laughs> in, a, in a jokingly manner. Say, Hey, you know, um, like, um, I tell people this all the time. Cause it's the truth because it happens. All right. It does. It does. The As the
0: CEO you take credit for the trillions of dollars or billions of dollars of <laughs> business did, even though yeah, you exactly. technically you didn't do yeah. all of that. <laughs> so yes, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. a fact in business and in organizations that that's the job of the leader. You make those things happen. You move it. And so we hey, so all
1: times, time. Say, so, hey, yeah. in, a, in, a, in a jokingly manner, you say, hey, you know what? You're going to do great work. And because you do great work, I'm going to sit back and take credit for it. You, do such great work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so, Hey, it, it, it just, uh, I tell this, like my boss will take credit for my work that he didn't do. It just, it rolls downhill.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> It does, it does. And it, but it, it feeds both ends of the process. So you get credit for it. Because you you allowed it to happen. You fostered the environment, the culture to make it happen. And then the employee did it because of that, that culture and that opportunity they were given. So that's pretty. Right. That's, that's a good way to put it. So awesome. What's the legacy that Dr. McCarroll wants to leave behind?
1: Oh, the only way to put it is that um, I was an equal opportunity but hold to everybody. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay. I, I, was a, I was a fair across the board. I took care of people. I showed no favoritism, and I jumped on the sword when things got bad, without hesitation. You know what I'm saying? That's my, that's, that's my work legacy. That's why I also tried stealing my kids. When stuff goes bad, it's my fault. When stuff goes good. Hey, it was, you did that. And that's, I mean, uh, even though I learned that in the military, I wasn't too fond of it. It's kind of one of those things where, you know what? Maybe it was on to something there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, you know, uh, it's just that they can they never say, oh, man, he showed favoritism. No, everyone got it. Opportunity, good. uh jerk to everybody
0: so. <laughs> well, it doesn't sound like you're being a jerk if you're falling on the sword for people but you're giving them the credit for the things they do i think we could use a few more of those types of jerks running around in the public sector or you right. know any sector for that matter because exactly. um, that sounds direct opposite that's a polar opposite to what we hear of um some leaders around the world and news stories and such. So yeah, so God right. bless you, man. <laughs> God bless you for that. Keep up the good work on
1: that. Thank you, my good man. Um,
0: as we finish up, do you have any projects that you're working on that you would like to share with our, our listeners, our readers? Uh, I'm, seeing, I'm I'm declassifying in my head. Uh, no. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. No. Yeah. <laughs>
0: As, course, a, you know, I know. <laughs> as a contractor, many of those things are classified and we don't want to get into that. Thank and you. I feel, I feel like my paycheck still.
1: <laughs> awesome. Or, and, or I feel the four walls. With uh, Okay. <laughs> well, we don't want that. to do
0: that because that, <laughs> that insinuates prison time. So we're not yes. a fan of that. So we'll stay <laughs> exactly. away from that. Thank you so much, sir, for your time and for meeting with us and talking with us and sharing this, this great information that we have. It's going to be valuable for the report. It's going to be valuable for for any of the new leaders that are listening in and trying to gain some some tidbits and wisdom to move forward and do a better job right off the bat so thanks so much for your time today and and we're super excited maybe we'll get to talk to you again at another time about a different topic all right good sir appreciate it awesome thank you so much talking with dr mccarroll today was fun and a wealth of knowledge it's great to catch up in today's discussion we found several hidden treasures regarding leadership during culture change. Dr. Max shared that middle managers set the pulse and the tone of the organization. And when they don't stay in touch with their people, problems show up. Leaders have to get to know their people before a significant change or culture shift happens. That way they can mitigate the issues. For successful culture change, leaders need to do a few things. Number one understand the constraints and requirements, communicate them to their people, and hold feedback sessions to help manage their long-term goals and culture shift and organizational priorities. Additionally, Dr. Mack discussed preparing for significant changes by holding daily tag-ups, where the supervisor can discuss family goals and life and work with their people in a short, informal discussion setting. These allow leaders to gain insight and respect, loyalty, and trust. With the insight gained during these tag-ups, leaders need to then empower their people and allow them to exercise responsibility when a problem comes up. Leaders can move past the knee-jerk reaction then of the, uh, you know, what were you thinking? And then ask more in-depth, curious questions to gain insight and focus on the good that was accomplished instead of just the negative. Dr. Mack, Also discussed that leaders must reframe negative action conversations into positive ones. Failure is typically the best teacher. Allowing everyone in a space to fail and learn empowers them and gives them creativity and ingenuity. There is no need to demoralize people. As leaders treat everyone as adults who want to do a good job and show caring and respect for them, They create an environment where people can freely express themselves and share ideas. Lastly, Dr. Mack encouraged leaders to foster team growth by having the tenured employees meet, mingle, and work with the new employees. People are the number one asset in and out of culture change. As we give them all the information that they need to do their job, they will make the leader's job easier because they'll do their job better. If you found as many treasures as I did on this excursion with Dr. Mack, please join me next time as I continue the hunt for leadership treasures.